It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Carolyn V. Hamilton. She's the author of Help, I Married a Comedian. It's a memoir of life in the circus lane of marriage to a stand-up comedian, someone that I know, as a matter of fact. The book is published by Swift House Press, and for everything about Carolyn and to order her book, go to carolynvhamilton.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at C underscore V Hamilton. And Carolyn, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ira. It's good to be here. So I alluded to the comedian that you're writing about since you spend all your time or a lot of your time with him. So I'm going to let you reveal who this comedian is. His name is Cork Proctor. He's a veteran Las Vegas lounge comic, and he has opened in his career for famous stars as well, like the Supremes and people like that. And he's really a legend in Las Vegas. But he is known in other parts. He worked for nine years on the Royal Caribbean cruise ships and did uh, stand-up jobs all over the United States. So he's, he's had quite a career. And actually, several years ago, Stevens Press published his autobiography, which was called My Mind is an Open Mouth, A Life Behind the Mic. Yes, and I have that book on my bookshelf. Good. So Autographed, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, of course. So, Cor first of all, let's talk about the name, Cork Proctor. Is that his real name? Because that's an unusual name. It is unusual. His birth name was Alfred Courtney Proctor. And when he was a little kid, he couldn't say Courtney. So he said Corky. And that stuck with him for the rest of his life. And then when he was about 65, he decided he really hated the name Alfred. And a few friends called him Alfie. And he'd He'd go to the doctor, and the, and the nurse would call him and say, Alfred Proctor, the doctor will see you now, and he hated that. So he went to court, and for 300 bucks, he had his name legally changed to Cork Proctor. Well, that's the story. Before we get more into your book, let's talk a little bit about your career as well, because you met Cork in Las Vegas. What were you doing at the time? At the time, I met Cork, the first time I met Cork. I was a sales representative for KNUU, the all-news radio station, working for Joe McMurray. And Cork was roasting Daryl Dreyer, who was a state assemblyman, and also the news director at the radio station. And so it was at the press club. And I had seen Cork's name on the marquee, but I didn't really know much about him or who he was because I didn't hang out at night in lounges and casinos because I had a day job. And uh, that was when I met him. And uh, can I go ahead and tell this story? Sure. It's in the book. But yes, absolutely. I love this story. Yeah, anyway. please. So Cork said, he says, well, you know, he says, I'm appearing in the, at the lounge in the Royal Inn, I think it was. And he says, why don't you come over tomorrow night and catch my show? And I thought, well, he's cute and he's funny and, you know, great. Uh, so the next day, it was Monday. And I showed up at the lounge, and there's a big easel there that says, Lounge Dark, Monday Nights. <laughs> and I thought, what is that about? Maybe he must just be the kind of guy who likes to see how many girls he can have waiting for him all over town. And I had two other boyfriends at the time, so I thought, I don't need this action. And I went home, 
and didn't really hear from him again until 10 years, eight, it was eight years later, I say 10, because it sounds better, but it was a long time later. Yeah, rounding it out from eight to 10. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, uh, I, and during that time I saw him, I got to see him perform, and he emceed the Las Vegas Advertising Federation Awards one year. I mean, I always thought he was really cute and really funny, but I never took him seriously. You don't take a comic seriously. That's right. That's how the whole thing started. And then one day I got this phone call. Oh, back to what I was doing. Then I I left in the intervening years. I left K News because I that's where I met Rich Newman. And Rich proposed that we start an advertising agency together. And my background actually had been commercial art from the years that I'd been in Los Angeles. And so now they call it graphic design, but then they called it commercial art. And so Rich proposed that we go together and start an advertising agency. And he already had a production company. He was doing a show at Channel 13 called The House Detective. And he sold me on this idea. And so we started Newman and Hamilton Advertising. And we had that for about five years. And then as partnerships are wont to do, it got kind of old, shall we say, and, <laughs> and the differences reared their ugly heads. And so we decided it was time to you know, move on in different directions. So we, we split. And at the time I got the phone call from Cork, I was freelancing. I think I was freelancing then as a graphic designer. And because I had signed willingly a non-compete clause with Rich that I wouldn't start another ad agency. And graphic design was my first love anyway. So I get this call from Cork out of the blue. I come home, and this is the days when we had the answering machines. And the first thing you do is tap your answering machine to see who called. And then as you're wandering around the house kicking your shoes off, you listen to your messages. So here's Cork's voice saying, I'm looking for the Carolyn Hamilton who owns the ad agency. And if you are she, please call me back at this number. I want you to know you've been my fantasy for the last 10 years. <laughs> And I, my initial reaction was, who speaks like that? Who says, if you are she? <laughs> who speaks that correctly? And so, of course, I called him back. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, why, did, why, was, why, did, wait, wait, why did you call him back when he, he stood you up that time in the lounge? Because he was cute and he was funny and I was curious. All right, fair enough. Like, where's he been all these years? Yes, where was he that eight to ten years? Where did he go? Why did he wait all that yeah. time? Why didn't I, I didn't see his name on Marquis? Well, he'd been working a lot on the cruise ships. So he hadn't been working that much in Vegas. So naturally, and he offered to buy me breakfast. And well, a girl's got to eat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so off we went to breakfast at one the country club. I can't remember the name of it now. And yeah, I thought he was looking for a job. So I had to first qualify that I no longer had the ad agency and wasn't hiring any talent. Well, that was very professional of you. Well, thank you. And then we talked, and, you know, the first things we said to each other was, you don't smoke, do you? <laughs> no, Which at that smoke. time was very popular in Las Vegas, uh, very common, well, I neither should say. One of, neither one of us have ever been cigarette smokers, and so right. it, was, it was kind of a, would have been a deal breaker. Yeah, absolutely. So then he promised me if I'd go out with him, I would never be bored, and in the Ensuing years, I wanted to kill him on more than one occasion, but I've never been bored. Well, that's good. He but kept his word. What did, did you give him any word? In other words, did you promise him something in return? 
There was a caveat, but I don't know if I can say it on the air. <laughs> Excessive sex. No, that wasn't. No, that just happened. Oh, okay. That wasn't your commitment. <laughs> that, okay. <laughs> that wasn't a commitment. Okay. That was just a natural progression of things. Because <laughs> in your book, you talk about how when you met and some of your girlfriends were amazed at at some point along the way, you two had yet not consummated your relationship, and eventually you did, and from then on, it was yeah. qu quite prolific. Well, you know, he was really, I mean, Cork is basically a gentleman, and he had he had decided that he would was serious about having a relationship with me, or at least exploring the idea, and he didn't want to just jump in the hot tub with a bottle of champagne, which was pretty common in Vegas in those days. And, you know, he wanted us to get to know each other first and all of that. So he was obsessed with the 25-year-old ex-girlfriend, though. And I did have to tell him at one point that if we were going to go anywhere with this, even friendship, he had to stop talking about her because <laughs> that was really boring. And he did. That's good. No, that's good. Well, wait, yeah. did, did he ever give you the reason why he waited the 8 to 10 years to get back to you? No. And you never asked him? No, actually, that's a good question. And no, I never did. Because it's, just, it's quite it's a, like, Carolyn, it's quite a stretch of time. He invites you to his show, and it turns out he's not performing that day. So then nothing happens for eight to 10 years. And now he's back and he's asking you out. He takes you to lunch at the country club or breakfast. And then you have this ongoing relationship. And that's never come up. And I'm the first to, to suggest you ask that question. You know, later on today, I'll have to ask him because, okay. no, I, I don't recall that I ever asked him. And and he was out of town a lot. I mean, he I think probably the reason I didn't ask him is because he was out on the cruise ships most of the time. So, Well, I, I understand that. But let's face it, eight to 10 years, you somewhere along the line, you, you do get back to Vegas and you can make a call to Carolyn V. Hamilton. Well, I suppose. Let's just say, let's put it this way, Ira. We were both very busy. Okay. I don't want to stir stuff up, but I'm just curious as to why you oh. you walked away from it because he wasn't there, and then all of a sudden he's calling you eight to ten years later, and then you never asked him what happened back then. That's why I was raising the question. But okay, you don't know yet, so we'll find yeah. out. Yeah. Well, first of all, he didn't remember. Oh, okay. That he had asked me to come the next night. Fair enough. He may have been. He didn't remember that. He may have been very busy and just met other women and just all. Exactly. Them all, we were yeah. both very busy. Okay. I'll <laughs> leave it at that. Okay. So <laughs> now what people don't know is I'm talking to you and you're in Cuenca, Ecuador. That's right. You we're and, up here in the Andes. Right. You and Cork and are both there. Of, yes, that's right. And that's a very convoluted story. It's in the book. I tried not to hold anything back. Well, let's point it just to our audience that the two of you got married, the two of you got divorced, and yet you're both together in Cuenca, Ecuador. Your decision to write the book about Cork and you was based on what? Overall, the relationship had a lot of ups and downs. It was exciting. It was fun. It was tragic. It was insulting. It was fun. I mean, <laughs> it, it just had a lot of up and downs over the years. And when I divorced him in 2009, well, first of all, let me answer the question, because otherwise I'll forget, I'll get off on this whole thing and I'll forget the question. Why did I write this book in the first place? Right. Because there were a lot of, a lot of funny, great stories. We traveled a lot. 
and and people would just be fascinated by our stories. So that was one thing. And I wanted to write a book about our relationship because I wanted to, well, let me be honest. I wanted to write about the verbal abuse. And I wasn't ready to do that for a long time because I was angry. And I didn't want the book to be angry. There's a story about a woman who was married. She was Jackie Gleason's mistress for 15 years. And she had even had friends in, uh, in New York. And she couldn't get published because they said, you're just too angry. And if you were with him for 15 years, it couldn't have all been that bad. And that's the reality of a long-term relationship. It's in the end, it's never all the, all one way. And it's never all that bad. And of course, in I want to qual- I qualify this in the front of the book. In every story, there's two there are two sides. And so I'm real clear in my introduction that this is my version of our relationship. Right. And and by the way, Cork has read the book. And <laughs> I don't know if you can say this on the air, but I'll go ahead and say it. He after he read the book, he looked at me and said, "Gee, you should have called this help. I married an asshole." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Did gave he... him my best smile. I said, yeah, but you're my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so did he agree with your assessment or your point of view of the yes, relationship? Yes, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't find anything in there that he didn't, that he thought wasn't true. Okay. So when I decided to write the book, I wanted to write, I wanted to write a book that was real and that told all the good stuff and all the funny stuff because there were so many funny times. And I've had people who've read it say, God, I just laughed all the way through it. And that's good. And I did put in a couple of things, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to relate how this particular thing went down. And I'm not going to say, I'm, and then I'm going to say how I felt about it. And I'm going to let the reader decide if it was a emotional abuse or not. All right, let's take a break. My guest, Carolyn V. Hamilton, is author of Help, I Married a Comedian, a Memoir of Life in the Circus Lane of Marriage to a stand-up comedian. For everything about Carolyn and to order her book, go to carolynvhamilton.com and follow her on Twitter at C underscore V Hamilton. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Carolyn V. Hamilton. She's author of Help, I Married a Comedian, a memoir of life and the circus lane of marriage to a stand-up comedian. For everything about Carolyn and to order her book, go to carolynvhamilton.com and follow her on Twitter at C underscore V Hamilton. And Carolyn, you were talking to us a little bit about the verbal abuse from your point of view, and you indicated that Cork kind of agreed with your assessment, thought that maybe at some point he'll write his version of it, but he agreed at least with with most of your perspective. So how is it that you are now still together, just not married, and you're in, as I mentioned before, Cuenca, Ecuador? I'm going to 
answer that question in a minute, Ira, but I do want to say one thing because you had asked how I came to write this book. Yes. And and my and I said, you know, I wanted to tell a lot of these funny stories and I just wanted to to just throw the whole thing out there because the point of the book, uh, the point of my reason for writing the book is that there's a very fine line between comedy and cruelty. And so much comedy is sarcastic and sometimes negative. And adults, we understand this. We understand it in a comedic perspective. But to live it every day with somebody who's sarcastic and has these, you know, things I've always said, you know, Cork is not a violent guy. He's, he, would know, he would never hit anybody. Because why would you do that when you can cut them off at the knees in 10 words or less? So, and we know in our culture today, we know that we don't forgive drunk drivers for killing somebody. We don't say anymore. There was a time when we'd say, oh, he didn't mean it, he was drunk. We don't do that anymore. We also understand that what we say to children affects how they grow up in their self-esteem and what they think about themselves. Children don't have a sense of sarcasm until they're about 12 years old. So they take everything literally. And we understand now that in the workplace, what you say to an employee can very well affect how they perform. But we don't talk yet about the relationships between two people and what a man or a a woman says to their spouse and how much that can hurt, even though it may have been said in jest. And that was part of what I wanted to show in this book. That's the underlying reason that I wrote the book. But I wanted also to focus on the fun and the adventure because there's been so much of it. So how did we get to be back here together in Cuenca? Right. Well, I divorced Cork in 2009 and I moved to Seattle, which was my hometown. And I lived there for three years. And then I moved to Cuenca, Ecuador for some other economic reasons. And the same year I moved, Cork turned 80. And I got this idea to do this roast. And the idea was just so compelling for me personally. And it sounded like so much fun. And I made a few phone calls, and I was able to make it happen. And we filled a showroom at the South Point with, and we had comics on, you know, a comic roasting panel. And we raised, I think, about $10,000 for Opportunity Village. We made it a fundraiser. And it was so much fun. And that was the year also... In fact, the same day of the roast, Stevens Press debuted Cork's autobiography. So it was a huge event, and, well, you were there. And I saw where Cork was living. He had had some financial setbacks and lost the condo, and he was living in an apartment with another guy, and it was like two Oscars from the odd couple. (laughs) It was so bad. And I thought, this is just really terrible. And I, I knew when he... When I first came to Ecuador, things would happen. I would see things, and I would think, oh, Cork would love this. He would just love this. And, of course, three years had gone by, and I'd sort of gotten my mojo back, so to speak, and my self-esteem, and I was a different person. So after the roast, I said, look, if you want to come to Ecuador and just see what it's like for a little vacation, you know, we could talk about maybe living together there. And he had always wanted to see Vilcabamba, which is the valley of what are the valley of longevity, which is not far from here. 
and it was made famous in a book he read in the 70s. I said, I'll take you down to Vilka, and we'll, you know, we'll check it out. We'll just look around, and we'll go to the coast, and we'll have a great time. We always traveled well together. So he said yes, and he came down, and we, he came down for, I think, six weeks, and we traveled all over the country. And I, in a weak moment, I said, you know, come on down, and and you, we can live together. We'll combine our social security, and we'll be able to live like kings. <laughs> and so he said yes. And here's an example, though, of the different person I was. I said, but there will be no hangings of orange llamas on the wall and native pottery because my decor has changed, and I am now into Asian deco. So there won't be any of the, that colorful Mexican stuff we had at the ranch. That was at the ranch. Right. Now, this is a different place. <laughs> so he agreed. And he said, okay. Very funny. And that's what happened. That was eight years ago. Absolutely amazing. And for people who don't know Cork Proctor or his reputation or his stage personality, he was, and he appeared also in some plays too. I remember seeing him at the Union Plaza with Maynard Sloat's, a couple of Maynard Sloat productions as well, if I remember. Unless yes. my mind is playing tricks on me, but I don't think it is. So Natalie Needs a Nighty. Yes, that's what it was. Natalie Needs a, a Nighty. Almost as good as Shakespeare, but you know, just a little bit changed around. And Quirk is, is a very, uh, I, you know what I thought of it just now is that Quirk is quirky. So it's a, it, that may be the next new book title, Quirk is Quirky. Can't say it three times real fast. I don't have any more stories. <laughs> Can you make them up? <laughs> that would be good. That's what I say for my fiction book. I got you. It's a fascinating read. And also, I want to mention to you, well, I want to mention to our audience that you not only write books about Cork, but you write a lot of other books. You're always on the go. And that always fascinated me about you, that you're constantly on the move. And even though you're down in Cuenca, Ecuador, you don't always stay there. You do come to Las Vegas. You do travel around the world. And you, both of you were in the Peace Corps at one point. Yes, that's true. And I never thought that Cork would join the Peace Corps. We met a guy in Tahiti who had been a Peace Corps advisor, and we had some beers with him in the rain. And he said, oh, you guys would be perfect volunteers. And I said, well, aren't we too old? And he said, you know, no. And Cork didn't even know the Peace Corps was still around. So we came home, and in the ensuing months, he at that time he was the entertainment director for Coast Resorts. And he'd come home and he'd say, it was so crazy today. You can't believe what the suits did. It was just so crazy it made the Peace Corps look good. <laughs> and he was really into the Stoli vanilla at the time. And he was so frustrated with the with being a hotel executive and all of that that entails. He's just too freeform for that. But anyway, one day he said, why don't you, if we're going to joke about it, why don't you uh, call somebody and get some information? You know, the wife gets all the secretarial duties. <laughs> At least in your world. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we did. And it takes about a year to place a couple because both people have to qualify for a position in the country. And a year later, we were in Suriname, South America, going, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> we're living in the jungle with a host family and just looking at each other and saying, what are we 
doing. But we had an agreement that if one morning one of us woke up and said, oh, my God, I can't stand it. I have to get out of here. We'd both go. And that never happened, at this, really. And anyway, it's a long story. It's but in the did, book. Frustrations and our triumphs with it and the fun we had there. To make a long story short, he came home after a year. And I stayed to finish my second year. When you guys finished the Peace Corps, did you feel that Cork, I know that you're always doing different things, but did you, did you feel that Cork expanded his horizons by being part of that process? I think so. To this day, we will wander around the house and speak to each other in Sran and Tongo, which is the language that we learned. It's the lingua franca of the country. And anytime something comes up, like this coronavirus is kind of a good example. We just look at each other and go, well, we were in the Peace Corps. We can handle this. <laughs> We've been in the Peace Corps. So it toughens, it toughens you up. It broadens your horizons a lot. And I just really believe that everybody should have a year. I think young people should have a year overseas doing some kind of government service where it's kind of protected, you know, because they're only maybe 18 or 19. But they get a chance to see how other people live and see that everybody doesn't have cable television and everybody doesn't have a car and everybody doesn't have Reebok shoes and all of that. And they're still happy. So it's not about all the things that you have. And when you spend a year in a village with people who have no running water, no electricity, and that wasn't the hard part. That was like perpetual camping. That was easy. The hard part was explaining to your neighbor who just shot an ocelot to feed his family that that's an endangered species. Yes, because they're looking at it from the point of view they need to feed their family. And you're looking at exactly. it from the point of view that, well, you know, you can't do that. It's an endangered. Yeah, so they're, yeah. The, cult, yeah. the cultural and, challenges, and, right? And none of them had ever seen the jungle from the air. And so they didn't think, they just felt the jungle goes on forever. So what difference does it make if we sell 600 acres to the Chinese to mine for gold or wood? We get the money. And what difference does it make? There's just jungle everywhere. Until there's not. Right. So before I let you go, tell me what you think your book, once you finished writing it, what it meant to you. We'll end the show with what you felt, the book that you've just written, which is, again, it's called Help, I Married a Comedian. What is the main thing that you learned from it, from the writing of it? For me personally, it's a chronicle of a time in my life that has had so much influence and impact on me. I've learned so much from Cork and from the experience. You know, I, I know something now, I know probably a little too much about stage lights and things like that. You know, you, just things that you pick up from somebody who's in your life all the time. And I'm really happy that I've made this chronicle. I guess at this age, you start to think about what kind of legacy are you going to leave. And I didn't think about that going in, although I do have a memoir consulting program that I call Memoir to Legacy, because it is a kind of legacy. And it's leaving something behind that describes an experience and a time that may never come again. If we didn't have letters and journals from people in centuries past, we wouldn't have any idea of how they lived because there was no photography. There was no you know, iPhone with a camera in it. And so this is 
something that I feel I'm I'm really proud that I did it. And I feel really good about it. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Carolyn V. Hamilton. She's author of Help, I Married a Comedian. It's a memoir of life and the circus lane of marriage to a stand-up comedian, mostly in Las Vegas. The book is published by Swift House Press. For everything about Carolyn and to order her book, go to carolynvhamilton.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at C underscore V Hamilton. Carolyn, thanks for being on the show. Always a pleasure, Ira. Thanks. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Hey, Las Vegas.